You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. The Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro is 100% waterproof from top to bottom. They're great for crossing creeks and walking through wet grass. As we all know, if your foot becomes wet during a hunt, you might as well call that hunt over. Pick up a pair of Alpha Burley Pros today and check out their website at lacrossefootwear.com. Welcome to Land of Legacy Podcast. It's your host Adam Keith and Matt Dye and Zach Shermer, and we're here on the Habitat Heroes Podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you guys like that or not, but you haven't. You haven't. I've uh, never been a hero before, so I'm okay not, with it. Yeah. Well, you're a Habitat, <laughs> you're a habitat hero. hero. Oh, <laughs> that's true. We all have that heroes. Um, and so Someone's anyway, we're right be. here on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, and we have a special property breakdown for you this week. We are going over a 40-acre piece that our good friend, Mr. Ryan Kirby, recently purchased in <clears> Illinois, <throat> and I think it's a great reminder of all, all everybody out there who's dreaming of own, owning land, and I think we get stuck in that. And we talked about it a little bit over on the hunting podcast about stuck in. You have to own big tracks of land that manage deer. But if you have the right 40, you can definitely, even the right 20, you can kill some good deer. And Ryan's definitely in the heart of it he, here in Illinois. He's the prime example yeah. of, or, or the epitome of hardworking, loves land, wants to raise his kid on this piece of land and hunt with him and work the land. Have He, he comes from a farming background. As you guys, if you listen to that podcast, have figured out. But this property right here can and will be great. Yeah. Yeah. Looks pretty cool. Going to make Illinois great again, right? Thank you. Yeah. Ryan Kirby. <laughs> so, minus, minus the tax situation. That's right. right. Yeah. And land prices. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, we have our final QDMA module. Um, mm-hmm. If you've tracked along with us and followed along for that um, whole breakdown, we are number nine this week, and it is all about QDMA. Um, We're not going to spend a great deal of time really talking about it. We're kind of doing an overall breakdown, but hopefully you guys have enjoyed it. If not, it's a great series. You ought to go through it. Sign up by going to QDMA.com forward slash land and legacy for a 20% discount on that um, module group um, go through nine weeks or nine segments of all kinds of things all habitat and deer focused Shermer, you went through it yeah i missed out on number nine i was off one oh, yeah i just got off one. he came <laughs> here today and he's like man i got I, that was so i got i nerded out over <laughs> it i'm like what are you talking about and he's like when he was talking about the like science of it oh, I'm like, God. I, I there in my head going what is he talking about that stuff is fascinating to me oh the white tail number eight yeah yeah number eight yeah. so i was one behind you guys snuck one i snuck a podcast <laughs> in on me but uh are you saying you don't golly, follow along every week you haven't posted yet have you uh, I didn't get an we, update. We have not on our face, not on the website. Okay. Matt, yeah. Matt handles so that side. So, um, but I posted it. <laughs> if, if I phase out in this <laughs> podcast too, it's because I just got back into town. Like, and you have seed ago. ticks all over your ankles, oh, and I'm dude. Scratch, dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, over here on a great property <gasps> in Ohio yesterday and left there this morning. But every time you got out <clears> of the rig and you started to walk across it, it was like. Look at your pants. You see that <laughs> little cloud just start spreading. Like, oh, that was like Laddie's gosh. deal in Delaware. Yeah. They were everywhere. Just, and you didn't everywhere. have any spray. I had treated my pants 
Um, yeah, but who really ago? buys that? We, no, I, it wasn't a month ago. It was <laughs> it was really recent. And I was like, please work. Please work. Just please work. But every time you see him, you're like, I, 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 I got to get him off. I got I to get him off. Seed ticks are the worst. So terrible. We came <laughs> in terrible, for a, terrible, 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 terrible. <laughs> we came in for a break during lunch, and I was like, I'm, I'm really at least low. getting new socks. So I went and changed socks and did a little scratch and yeah, scrub down you, on the ankles and – uh, but yeah, uh, it yeah, was so worth it. It was a great property. Sounds like it. We, you know, and as part of this trip, because Matt and I, we went up and we met with Pure Air Natives. So that yeah. was last week's podcast. You guys heard us talk with Justin Adams over there. Um, and then we went up to Mr. Ryan Kirby's property, which and is we this did a week. podcast with him, and we're breaking down. So Ryan, it's Ryan Kirby week right here on <laughs> Land yeah. and Legacy Podcast. Um, if you don't follow his stuff, you or have Instagram. To. Yeah, you're a fool. I'll yeah. just throw it out there. Yeah, there's great it. humor with his son, Rhett. Yes. And there's great, <laughs> amazing Extreme talent Extreme talent, talent. And, and amazing artwork. So go check yeah. him out at Ryan Kirby on Instagram. It might be Ryan Kirby Art. Ryan Kirby Art. That's right. Yeah. So check it out. But anyway, um, we were there, and then I went to Southern Illinois, and mm-hmm. then Matt went on to PA, and then, on, and then Virginia, and then on your way back home, you hit, went hit to Ohio. Ohio. So we've My been goodness. on a tour here lately. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so we need to have, you know what we should do? We should do, we should name a, like a tour, like one that we like, it's super scheduled out. Like where it's well in advance. We make just like this big Eastern tour. You know how like artists, they have like, like a habitat tour. Yeah. Ooh. And we could like film it going to different farms and like, yeah. Cut it all up into different films. Yeah. Habitat heroes. I'm getting getting more, more, more work here (laughs) as I keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) You know what like else we idea. should film? We should. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what else uh, you guys need? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I actually need to practice my bone. I need you the form yeah, and everything. There you go. Some high it. high frame yeah. rate, some yeah. slow motion stuff. So yeah. Kitty May this week was uh, very. Um, it was Cat-stone-ish. all basically talking about Cutie May over <clears throat> the years. Of course, organization started in 1987, and they've been going on for 30 years now, and and really have kind of evolved and are really one of the main, I would say the main organization fighting the white-tailed deer. Um, well, not fighting heritage. against it, fighting um, for it. <laughs> fighting the, yeah. well, I said white-tailed deer heritage, like in, in the habitat and fighting for the animal, fighting the fight of, uh-huh. of making sure we have future hunts for QDMA and so, uh, or for all deer hunters. Um, so, that's kind of really what this whole segment's about and how they've changed and what their mindset is on in on habitat management and deer management in general. And I think one of the biggest things, we'll just talk about some of the biggest misconceptions that I've heard is that, and I, I know it mentioned is, but cutie may is always about killing big bucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anybody who's been around much at all and and uh, has probably heard that that false line about qdma the other one is that they're all about shooting numerous amounts of does Mm -hmm. but really the gist of it is is they're all about a healthy deer herd so understanding if it's it's only if if you've not done your job yeah right it's only if it's out of whack if it doesn't need to you don't need to shoot a bunch you don't have to and i and i think one of the biggest things is whenever people get so mad about seeing somebody shoot a bunch of does and they don't realize the fact that if that population is really, really out of whack or it's really overpopulated, there's a good chance that 
a really bad winter could cause a lot of them to starve to death, which mm-hmm. is a much worse death, and they go to waste usually. Um, at least by harvesting does, you're feeding a lot of families. and Even if they're not dying, they're under extreme stress. Extreme yeah. stress and not doing No one likes to great. see that. So, um, honestly, with QDMA, it's always about understanding the health of the herd and how to improve it or keep it in balance. And so, mm-hmm. they're usually looking at, a lot of us are focused on, on harvesting mature deer. Um, and there's a portion in this last module about why uh, young deer are important in the in the ratio and why they don't encourage uh, every hunter to be taking year and a half old bucks. Um, but the one thing I did like, and I think this is important to note, is that with new hunters, it's very important that they get to harvest whatever makes them happy. Oh, for whatever sure. is going to bring them back out. Yep. And so uh, it was a really good one. Uh, one of the other key points i i liked was the difference between traditional deer management qdma mm-hmm. or qdm management and trophy deer management and it talked about um, conventional and qdm could be done on any acre any farm but trophy deer management is five thousand acres or larger mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. traditional deer management was always just shoot the bucks and leave the does qdm is about shooting does and bucks keeping it balanced and, uh, I mean, when I think, uh, and this is not a, uh, when I think of traditional deer management, I picture the, the, the old school photo with 10, the d- 10 deer on the rack up. yeah, or 10 bucks on the rack, just lined up or yep. all packed <clears throat> into the back of a truck bed mm-hmm. and QDMA would be about the same of bucks to those. Yep. And so, uh, in a lot of cases in this day and age, it'd be barely more does than bucks because mm-hmm. we are so overpopulated with does in a lot of places. So um, that, I think, was a great reminder that Cutie Mae was right there in that wheelhouse of what I know I want to be at. And uh, so it was a really good uh, really good module. And that's the thing. like When you look at who's leading the organization, who's running the organization, who is on staff at the organization, and they all wear many hats. Um but they're scientists and they're biologists, but they're also deer hunters and they're also extremely nice people, great personalities. Um, but I, I say that as we do research in habitat. We do tests, may not be like, you know, exact numbers associated with things that we're doing, but we're mm-hmm. testing all the time. They're researching and they're working with researchers that are um, finding the most. Uh, not distinct, not distinct. I'm not, that's not the right word. The newest, the freshest information on white-tailed deer. Right. They do that daily. So why go anywhere else through any other organization to get your information? Like that's their job. Yeah. And they're taking that information, not only getting it out there, but they're, they're using that information then to guide, make guidelines or recommendations on how to better that species. Um, and that's, that's the whole basis of QDMA scientific knowledge. Yep to improve a resource for others to enjoy yeah people it, yeah i you know you know i i get so sick of seeing people that are unqualified talk about cwd i'm not gonna tell someone talk about something else and how to manage their wealth like yeah that's a right. bad idea for me <laughs> i'm not gonna go tell somebody how to change the engine out of a car right I'm and i'm not going to tell somebody how to uh, the deer biology what i will tell you is how to improve the habitat right and how to maintain that habitat and make and use some habitat improvement techniques to 
increase deer quality but also put deer in front of your tree stand right and how to have more quail and how to work a property with cows and and wildlife and how to make it work that's our specialty um, and QDMA specialty is understanding white-tailed deer and the diseases they face and the future of it. And, and right. And projecting the future of it and what we can do right now to improve the odds of that resource be, being beneficial and staying in a productive state in the future. That's right. And I didn't read through this module, but you kind of had started with like misconceptions of QDMA. Um well, I mean, if you were just to read through these modules, you'll understand what they're trying to do. They're oh. not just saying kill the big yeah, buck. Yeah. It's all herd health. And yeah. all these modules are, like you said too, like scientifically based facts. Mm-hmm. I mean, they care Fresh, about... current information. Right, they care about f- from fawns all the way to the six and a half year old mature buck. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're covering everything in between and... and um, everything about those deer so yeah. you know if there's any misconception about them just read any other articles you know and, and it'll read any of the articles and go take this module yeah learn about the actual you know deer the subject that they're this whole organization is yeah. based on and you will see then as a result the publication what they do and put out is all about that animal exactly and the, the, the betterment of it the number eight that i read that was probably my favorite one so yeah. far it, it's just fascinating to me to knowing the science and the biology mm-hmm. behind a deer and their vision, how their vision works. I like that kind of stuff. But then there's also things, if that's something you nerd. don't care about, then there's something about the rut in there. So oh, there's yeah. something for Look everyone in those. Look at you, my, my You're turning friend. me. You, you've came to the nerd <laughs> side. <laughs> it is though, man. Like, I'm and, and another thing great, too. Great nerd. Yeah. Another thing too is like, I feel like the more you know about the animals that you're hunting, whether it be their eyesight, whenever they're down eating, yeah, you become a the better, hunter. better hunter. Absolutely. You know, their glands and their like every, the more you can learn Parcel about them and the habitat, everything. the better you are. Well, at predicting not, where they're not be to change to the target from from a white-tailed deer to a human being, but isn't that kind of what like a Navy SEAL yeah, does? Exactly. They understand it, their target and their habits. A hundred percent. Yeah. Or, or it's your wife. You understand your <laughs> wife or you try your hardest. To understand I don't know. I've never. And then yeah. life just gets a little bit more better when you do. I really right? suck at understanding. <laughs> but no, I think, uh, for sure. That's, I, I think it was a great module. I, I love the whole thing. Um, I do have a would you rather that I'll ask you guys now, and then you can think about yours through the podcast. Ask me later. But um, as we wind this up, again, cutiemay.com forward slash land and legacy, 20% discount to go through the modules. But also, um, you know, what was your favorite one, Matt? Oh, great question. And I would say, first off, if you did go through all of them or you're jumping back and getting up, caught up, thank you for following along too, because that was. I enjoyed being able to do this and use some of that education that they put together in this unique module format and go through it with everyone. Um, there is additional things we might be working on in the future um, to expand you know, this type of format we're talking about with the podcast and listeners. So be watching for that. But my favorite module, um, I think it was the whitetail rut, honestly. Yeah. I, there's so much talk about the rut and there's so much focus from deer hunters, of course, on the rut, but there's so much misinformation and observations and anecdotal stuff you hear floating around, Right. but there is so much science that is devoted in time by scientists that whether it's prove or disprove does not matter. They have the hard facts. Yep. And when you understand that animal, 
to that fullest extent that's out there, like you said, you become a great hunter. Yeah. A great hunter. Or you should be able to put, you know, understand the habitat, have hashtag woodsmanship. Oh, goodness. And then understand the animal. You can kill deer, good deer, every single year if they're out there. What about you, Shermer? What do you mean? Oh, you already know mine. The one I just read, eight. I just oh, that's the yeah. one I've been oh, talking that about. That was yeah. a really good one. I think my the favorite biology. was the food plot one. Yeah, um, that was a good because one. There's yeah. so much information there. But so here's my: Would you rather? Would you rather go on a hunt this fall with? And I'll and I'll just say the three that really kind of came through a lot: Lindsey Thomas Jr. in Georgia. Okay. Matt Ross. He's a he's New York New he New lives York in New York. Yep. Or Kip Adams in PA. Which one would you rather hunt with? PA. We answer now? Yeah. Good, good, good. And question. if you don't know these guys, they're all a hoot to hang oh, out with. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And so you really you, – you're going to have fun either, anywhere you go. So really the That's, question yeah, is, is where you want to hunt. It's a yeah. justifiable thing. I'm not a fan of hunting in the heat. So, Lindsay, <laughs> I <laughs> I would want to hunt with you and experience that because he's got an awesome place down there. Yeah. It, it's kind of a big fa- family steam tradition. So, like, that would be cool to go and see and enjoy. But I don't want to be hunting in short sleeves. In <laughs> mosquitoes. And mosquitoes. I don't well, want mosquitoes. So, but then again, I've always wanted to go to Pennsylvania and experience that hunting tradition too. Yeah. I know New York has it, but I would I would go to Kip's place. Or I would invite myself to Kip's <laughs> place, right? Kip, I'm coming and down. See, coming over. I want to. I want to experience that. Just to say, I've been to opening day in PA yeah. and just seen everyone come out and enjoy and have that tailgate down right around town experience and tailgate down, PA. windows up because it might be cold. <laughs> that's, fine. that's fine though yeah. too. I got my buffalo plaid, or yeah. I've got my full orange suit and my thirty thirty, and it doesn't matter. I'm in PA opening day. Yeah. What about you? I'd say Georgia. That's I, I was gonna say Georgia myself because you can hunt a different rut. You could still get our rut and then yeah. be able to he, go hunt that one. What kind is of he? coastal? Yeah, he, he's right. That right one on the coast. was a little bit later than ours, right? That was in like January, right? Yeah, fe- I, I can't. I don't know. I don't remember either. Uh, but me, it's I in the modules. A, if you look at the, the modules, modules. <laughs> that's right. I just think of uh, you know down south. There's kind of that. You know, there's great history anywhere in the country with white-tailed deer. PA's got a really strong one, but yeah. Georgia's pretty strong, too. It's very strong. And so, to me, that's what – I just think of, like, you're going to the south, you're going to go deer hunting, and you're going to watch some college football. Right. And, That'd and be awesome. to me, I just, yeah. like – You're, like, tailgating before going in the woods. Yeah. It don't even matter if we go <laughs> early. I've hunted Georgia before, and I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. You bring so. your climber and hunt the big pine thickets. There you go. So just keep climbing 30 That's foot fun. up, and you're like, I ain't looking down. That's I'm like where we hunt in Arkansas. Hunt the there's big – oh. <laughs> Those big pine thickets, man. You can get up there so oh, yeah. high. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. Yeah, Matt's going to PA, and we're going to Georgia. Yeah. Matt Ross, it, I'll come next time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thanks for the guy. invite. He yeah. just posts all those videos and pictures where it's always snowing. I so know. Yeah, like, I know. the heck with that? And it's, it's April. I'm like, dude, it's 60 degrees. I, I remember texting this spring. I was like, turkeys are goblin out here, man. He's like, uh, I think this is our last bit of snow. I'm like, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Have fun. So we'll we'll go down there, and then we'll invite all of them out to Missouri. So. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, but anyway, no, I thought that would be interesting to see what you guys said. Um, so going in, breaking down 40-acre piece of property. Ooh, 40 and acres. I, and, and everybody thinks 40 acres, not North, a lot you can do. Northwestish. 
Illinois. Yeah. I mean, it's farm country. Most yeah. of all of Illinois is farm country. This is no different. This is a wood, 40-acre wood lot, kind yeah. of in a big drainage in between mm-hmm. huge crop fields. Yeah, and uh, if I were to buy something in crop country, that's exactly what I'd be looking for. Yeah, no doubt. I would just want all timber. Yeah. Yep. And and you think about historically in, in Illinois, there was the great, great prairies of it. And then that kind of rolled into the savannas of <laughs> the drainages and woodlands. Yep. And so... There were some big trees we saw in this we place that were, you could tell, were wolfy at one like point that kind of in, ended up getting crowded out. Five now. monster trees. Really? Monsters. Yep. <clears throat> but that's and, it. That's all that really remained. That we, and we walked it. We walked it all. We saw a bunch, but five distinct trees. I was like, okay, you've been here a huge. long time. <laughs> yeah. Big monster yeah. bur oaks. And I think, so basically it's 40 acres and you guys if you've seen the post or wherever you're viewing it there's going to be a photo go to our facebook page and check it out if you're there and you don't like the page yet like it please um and it's basically 40 acres of solid timber with a creek running through it and one little opening that's maybe three quarters of an acre um or maybe an acre that is i think uh, he said it was 1.1 right when we arrived but there is some trees still kind of scattered throughout so yes the and, shape is 1.1. 1. 1. And so we're looking at a one food plot in the northwest side, and the rest is all timber. So how in the heck do we manage that? And there's always a way to manage it, and there's always a way to improve the hunting of the property and improve the layout and diversify and, and fragment this property. And I think it's important to talk about, as before we go through it, is when he's hunting and how he's going to hunt it. Like, he's up here during the first part of November for a week, 10 days. And so that's a great time to hunt it, of course, but there's all like, we need stands for every wind. We right. have to lay it out in a fashion that if he gets thrown a, a, a curveball, he's gets two, two days in a row of East winds. He's got to have a place to hunt. Right. We've got to set it up in a fashion that, you know, it's accessible for him during that time period, give him the, best chance first week of, of november heavy pre-rut heavy chasing to go come in here and hunt this property yeah and you've got to be on 40 acres you've got to be very meticulous and and I weary about how crossed. you yeah about how you move around yeah. you don't want to spook a lot of deer on 40 acres and i think that's where you could really say that guys on 40 acres or smaller pieces that hunt them appropriately use woodsmanship to their advantage yeah I what think sometimes we get <laughs> very lazy when we have a big chunk of ground. We can say, right. ah, whatever. I've got a bunch of bunch of stuff. No, to do. you're right. So but on 40 acres, it's right. it's ninja like focus of going. Okay, I have to go in on these winds. And if I, I mean, if you go in, in a 40 acre chunk and you use, let's say, you go to the south end to hunt it on a south wind, and you blow your scent all the way across it, and you've alerted all the deer, all that, the deer were yeah. no, that were focused on your ground as being the sanctuary are now going, whoa, something's up. I'm going to have to go elsewhere. And, and I think it's important to identify what type of property, because uh, 40 acres, yes, is limited. doesn't mean you can't have portions of, of your property devoted to better bedding. But like this property itself, no matter what, just the way it lays in the area that it lays, it is a travel corridor. A lot of deer... Yeah. We're, we're making it, so deer will bed here, but a lot of deer will still funnel and pass through this property. So understanding that, like where, where how your property hunts and how deer are going to utilize it 
even after we we do habitat work is still important keeping that you know in 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 mind so number one the food plot is the heartbeat of this property it's really the uh the the focal point the focal point that we want all deer coming to and from and moving from and uh so how do we do that we make sure it's an attractive food source year round and so there are certain times of the year where clover is not great there's certain times of the year where soybeans are not great there's certain times of the year where um, another food plot wheat may not be great but if we have all of them there we have food year round so Mm -hmm. half of this food plot will be suggested to be planted in a perennial mix of clovers alfalfas chicories and the other side will be planted in soybeans um, maybe a portion of it fence maybe not but soybeans and then planted again in the fall with a a mix like the legacy blend from stratton yep. seed company high where, diversity cool season annual mix yep. that's it and so you have this uh food year round so it's attractive year round um and that's one way to really get deer honing in on this area throughout the year yeah number two how do we fragment timber country? And this is like everyone could probably identify with it. Tall timber, big thick canopy, not much understory. And and I say understory as in a lot of varying structure. You had some buckeye trees, um, but there wasn't much shrub or woody vegetation growing. At, at a height of under eight feet, it was stinging nettle. Oh my! Throughout gosh. the entire property, Sherman. Do you know what stinging nettle is? Mm-mm. Itch weed on the rivers around here. We get it to where it, it's kind of like a leaf. Uh, it would be basically a teardrop-shaped leaf with little sawtooth all around it. And when you bump up against it, it burns your legs. Oh, oh yeah. I think even, I know what you're talking about now. On, you hit it wrong. Does it flower? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, a little white flower. Oh, yeah. Okay, never mind. The one I was okay. thinking of is yellow. Never mind. You may be thinking of jewelweed. Yeah. Uh, but, man, you just flat out just light <laughs> it up. But it grows great in shade, moist yep. soil, and that was what this place was. Oh, the thing bottom. about itchweed is um, they do eat it, mm-hmm. but they can first eat frost hits, and it's gone. Like, really? It just lays wilts. flat against the ground. <laughs> and so it's, even it's though we're, yeah. we're walking through waist-high spots, in places it's going to be down as soon as the frost hits which is going to be sometime in october probably and so now we've got wide open timber with no food yeah. value like wide open timber yeah did he just per- 50 200 just yards he it. just purchased it then yeah. yeah i imagine you guys got him on a yeah you're going to talk about it right got him on a plan to get oh, some bedding tickets there you go oh that's that's number two that's it see i was trying to transition yeah okay i see what you're doing there i see yeah bedding tickets right here where we're fragmenting this landscape and we are making it to where there is now sunshine hitting the forest floor now Mm -hmm. we have more um, herbaceous plants that are going to be there throughout more uh, longer period of the year then we have young forest or woody brows coming up or stump sprouting on those trees that we cut to where now we have a humongous amount of food and cover in pockets on this place dotted throughout here and in this not just at random at very distinct spots as we anticipate how deer are going to travel from one to another and then how you can access and hunt those appropriately but the thing is okay we understand yes it was like 
the 9th of, of August when we went in and cleared those areas, it's going to be limited regeneration between now and, you know, the first frost or when, when everything is senescent and not um, photosynthesizing it and mm-hmm. grow. Like, you're not going to have that much growth. But right now, year one, what we do have that was not there is canopies of trees on the ground. And just that difference is going to attract those and put deer in those areas bedded down consistently. And that's year one, very little regeneration, just a canopy is going to be attractive bedding area for does and bucks throughout this fall. You guys have seen to see that Kansas. video that I posted yesterday on the Land and Legacy Facebook page of a doe, and she is hammering a little uh, – eastern black walnut tree that we cut we cut it oh yes the trail cam video yeah 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 and it started stump sprouting so we cut it in early june it was stump sprouting like crazy and there was eight different deer that came in over the course of 13 days and it's just like much you could see it growing up browse down re-sprout browse down re-sprout browse down just continuous food they're just pumping it out food and it was eastern black walnut who thinks (laughs) of eastern black walnut as being great food right right um but so they don't they don't crunch the nuts and eat the those but eat the leaves if they're low enough if they're accessible (laughs) yeah and so tender like i mean that was like there's veal. One, there's it's the veal. <laughs> it's the veal of, of walnut leaves. leaves, right? There's one video of the doe, and she, she uh, one doe that comes in, and everything on top's been browsed. And unfortunately, we weren't, we didn't have the camera to monitor the stump. We had it up there to monitor the fence gap, so we can't see the whole stump. But they were actually coming in, and she looked, and you could see her like looking at the top, nothing, and you see her browsing down below like she's pulling. You can you can just see her like pulling stuff off the bottom. Was it was it yeah. like a uh, root suckers coming up that she's browsing so. there you yeah. can't even tell you can right. see her grab stuff and by the way if you guys can hear the background noise we're in the middle of a yeah. wicked thunderstorm yeah, right thank now. god so, yeah i Getting mean some it rain is, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, oh i was gonna say you don't like thunderstorms you're you're just glad you're here with us we're protecting you yeah exactly <laughs> my big you, saviors the bad, the bad <laughs> thing is i i looked at the radar while we were recording and it's split and it has not hit the farm yet really it it's looked kinda, like when i was driving over it was uh it, it looked like it was going to but it started kind of breaking up did and, the old dodge yeah. dip yeah. duck and i feel dive. like that's happened a lot at our place <laughs> five d's and yeah. dodgeball yeah. Yeah. but so no, five um, d's of thunderstorms <laughs> in the summer on your farm yeah it'll split <laughs> yeah. dodge dip dive duck and dodge again, dodge right? two dodges yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway number two we are adding the fragmented bedding thickets and not I'm, only that when we put those in place they're so thick we want it to be where deer can maneuver in them but so during that October, November time frame when does are getting pestered by the bucks, they seek out the thickest cover they can find to hide and avoid bucks. They're going to these bedding thickets. The bucks start following scent trails and they start noticing, and this only gets better over time, but they start noticing that's where the does go. Mm-hmm. So they start going and connecting the dots of bedding thickets and always going on the downwind side in case there is a doe missing that they don't see, they can still smell and see if she's in there. And, and it just so happens that there's tree stands placed exactly right for that in movement. there. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Just for like that. we drew it up. So yep. as tree stands 50, 60 yards from the edge of that bedding thicket, and they're going to walk in somewhere in between. Here's yeah. an important thing. I think if you're sitting here 
listening to this podcast and you say, what can I do right now? And your timber is wide open and, and you want to better your chances. There's not many things that you can do habitat wise speaking that you're going to get direct turnaround benefit. But if your timber is wide open, you have very little or, or poor quality bedding throughout your property that you hunt and you have permission or you can go in, drop some trees. Yep. Drop some trees, have some canopy, some structure on the ground to obstruct views, to allow deer to bed in them. This fall, they were bedding them. And then you know where deer are bedding and can hunt at the right time of the year those areas intentionally. There's there's food everywhere for them. I was just at the farm today. It's like... I always want. I always want to look at where I've been doing the work, mm-hmm. and it's just well, green, you have to, to learn. lush. Yes. I mean, just thick green growth, and everything's nipped off. All the stump sprouts are just destroyed. The it's, veal. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> the veal. <laughs> I don't know. Look at the, the veal stump kick sprout. For that. Yeah. Um, but no, you can't have. I mean, and and then if you go to our food plots, and it's just like, oof, right? Yikes! A little dusty. Well, the dust <laughs> yeah. is a little knocked down because we've had some rain, luckily, yeah. but. Um, yeah, the timber where the the sun's getting in is ten times better looking than yeah. anything else on our farm. And that's the thing; it's, it's it's a chainsaw. We knocked out three to four of these in a matter of three hours, and and these are large trees that we're knocking down too, yeah. um, strategically and safely, of course. But it can be done in an afternoon, right? Like it's that simple of a technique in the right area. To, to place these throughout a farm and you're changing the way you hunt and you're changing the way deer use your property because they're seriously though if if during this time of the year he were to go back there and hadn't done these cuts throughout the property i don't think a deer really would have bedded on that property on this 40 acres there's a couple spots where it was thick enough there are some some areas like right there along this creek in the center that was thick willows but there was there's no quality areas to bed. Yeah, it makes it a lot harder to hunt too. Your deer are spread out. That yeah. or that they're not even problem. getting to that food right. plot during daylight hours. Yeah, that's another thing. They're in close proximity. They're get up, walk right there, be there before it gets dark. Yep. You can do that on this is again. We're probably gonna hit it hard today, but this is 40 acres. Yeah. That's the difference that you can make on just 40 acres by having distinct bedding. And you can do it on 20. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely can. Yeah. Ah, oh, love it. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's uh, definitely something to, to do. I, You're you're kind of new to the bedding thickets. That's right. I remember when we first toured your, your you and your dad's place, it was like bedding thickets was kind of a new thing um, for you guys. And so now you're kind of seeing the immediate results after cutting exactly. and burning. Um, definitely a planned burn, but. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, 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 hey. And so, uh, and get in for those. That's thunders, a little bit of an inside <laughs> joke there, but, uh, um, we definitely have the, the burned and now, so you got the, the fast pace, the fast forward he went motion. All, oh. You cut and burn. <laughs> all and in. So you got just a huge flush in yes. one year. And yeah. now you can see the immediate. I, I know just the other day you're talking about cedars getting cut, native grasses coming up, deer were bedding in it. Yep. I noticed this, Matt, I didn't even mm-hmm. tell you, you were still in PA when, when I saw this, but the other day I went and looked at one of our, uh, I was checking trail cameras and I went to the Fiasco food plot yep. and uh, I stepped over there to see, I think Chad called it old world milkweed that he had found. Old world? Yeah. I, world? Like as in W-H or world, world as in like globe? As in world. 
<laughs> no, seriously, there's two. I don't two. know. Actually, to tell you the truth, I don't even know. Okay, because world is a is like a whiskey. The way. Why are you saying what what way? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you were thinking? <laughs> I was like, uh, no, what movie was, is that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Dude, you know he's like uh he tries to be like an evil Knievel type character. Or our safe word is whiskey. Whiskey. Why why are you saying that? Why am I saying what what way? <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's I don't, just remind me. I of was that. thinking of uh but when he said that I was thinking of high school uh high school Spanish when we asked the teacher, is it sabado or sabado? And she goes, It's it's sabado. Not Sabado. <laughs> <laughs> well, because That's what I'm saying. When, yeah. when I worked at uh, Quantico Marine Corps Base, there was a endangered um, plant species, and it was small world pagonia. And it was the world or world. There we go. I had to get the, the throat, the throat <laughs> world in there. Um, it was it was basically the, the layout of the plant and how the, the least were oriented it, it around it. Whirled around. It did. <laughs> hey, look it up. So no, I don't I, know I, what it. I think it yeah. was the way I interpreted it, his way of saying it was old world. What was the enunciation like yeah. when he what presented world? Say that in pig Latin, please. Yeah. Can, Can you, you please use, use that, that in a sentence? sentence? Yeah. <laughs> so um, number three, edge feathering, and number three went to basically right just south of the food plot. And the reason for edge feathering is to improve <clears throat> habitat. We're making it more beneficial to other species. Yep. We're going to get more regen on woody brow. So there is winter food there. Um, we're also making more cover so deer feel more comfortable moving into this food plot and being in this food plot during daylight hours. But also flip it to the other side from the woods looking into the food plot is once it you get this growth, you're not going to be able to see from the woods into the food plot. So a buck has to come into the food plot to yep. see what's in there rather than stand 50 yards back and look and say, oh, there's no deer out Seen there. Seeing is believing. That's for for deer, it's the exact same stance as they're searching for does. They need to visually see. Scent checking is great, but if they can take a few more steps and get out there, they will. Yep. That's they right. So um, edge feathering, I and mean, that's going from – Almost a vein-like effect or a cove of a lake effect from the edge of the food plot back into the timber. So it's not a consistent 50 yards or 30 yards section. It's it's maybe 40 yards here and 20 yards there and 10 yards there, whatever. And what I like about that is it doesn't just improve that immediate area, but if you take more of a macro view and look a little bit further out from that, if you go west of that little edge feathering that that number three there there like that food plot pinches down so now that it's yeah. edge feathered and it's a little bit harder for deer to get through that specific area you are now creating a better bottleneck at the very west corner of that food plot and there's another stand there will be there as well so you're not only creating great habitat around there increasing forage obstructing views you're you're creating a bottleneck that you can be that can be hunted you know, just out off the food plot in a whole different area of the farm. Yeah. Like, it, it, there's multiple benefits, and funneling deer because of the edge feathering is, is um, reason number one, but a lot of added benefits. I was going to mention the bottleneck. That, I feel like that's, like, a really important thing that some people might miss, like, whenever they have an idea of creating a food plot in an area. <clears throat> well, let's just make a field, and yeah. you just you stop make there. a circle field. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's 100 yards across. How am I going to shoot with my bow? 
whenever you could make it maybe a little bit longer. Cam Haynes it. Cam Okay. <laughs> hey, a hundred yard on a whitetail is a yeah. pretty hard shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even on a, anything. But anyways, yeah, it's like um, – would you call it? I think last podcast you said farm architecture. Yeah. Would you property call it? Architect- property architecture. Property architecture. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's an important point. But and you can also do that too if you have existing fields with the way you said with oh yeah edge feathering oh, and, yeah. and hinge cutting and kind of directing them in, in particular areas. Uh, every of the field. farm I think that we probably went to in this past you know habitat tour, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, if there were food plots there, it, most likely a portion of them. Ha- we recommended edge feathering to only further enhance how deer, in, I guess you wouldn't enhance how they enter and exit, but enhance the hunting so your strategy is improved um, and you're you're basically dictating or or predicting where deer are going to walk in and out of that field and you're placing blinds and stands appropriately yep. according to that. So edge feathering, that portion, super, super important. Looks like number four is, number is four? another bedding area thick is that right no number four is the edge feathering from the north side of the food plot oh the northeast kind of corner kind of the northeast side of the food plot going to the north boundary and this is about funneling deer into the food plot through basically kind of a natural it's a wider bottom that feeds through that little north section but because of this edge feathering that can take place there you're again concentrating some some deer throughout that wider travel court there because we walked through that's where we first walked through there and there was you know three ish trails and they could have picked all of them if they want to or or you know they could come to that food plot from that direction four times and came out in four four different places if they Mm -hmm. really want to in that small area but we don't why why allow that to happen yeah i feel like another important thing just looking at this map on like a smaller piece of land is analyzing the neighborhood your your neighbors and how you can hunt it and how you can maybe draw deer off the neighbors onto yours or whatever but i feel like that's a really big that's always a big part and especially on smaller acreage of going what what can i even though it's a smaller acreage how how can i put something here that the neighbors don't have yeah bedding thickets is one of the biggest because there's not a lot of woody brows in the neighborhood and there's not a lot of this kind of thick thick woody um, growth and structures. Mm-hmm. So like if you get heavy rains and wind, the number eight that we'll get to is all going to be laying flat or laying uh, not nearly as tall as it could be. And so that's adding that, adding food source that's beneficial year round and not just a cover crop or standing standing beans or whatever. Um, and then um, putting in these structures like edge feathering and a couple others we'll mention in the future is all about adding something that's not in the neighborhood. Right. To me, this number four, this edge feathering, and it's almost like it's edge feathering, but kind of tree felling, you might say, as we get away from the edge of the food plot, you're just dropping trees and hinging trees down to where you're trying to create almost a natural fence that deer don't want to cross and it's not like you're building this huge obstruction that's out of the ordinary. It happens in nature all the time with windstorms, tornadoes, whatever, where trees fall over and they walk, they start walking around. Them. Right. And we're just doing that in a strategic location where now deer are just like, okay, I, I'm going to walk right at the edge of the food plot or going to cross a little further and walk right on the other edge of the food plot close. And, and that always is close to a stand. So it's just, it's just using nature to our advantage yeah and they're 
super super I hope everyone listens and caught the fact that it was cut some and hinge some it wasn't hinge every single tree through there yeah that mixture yeah gotta have that mixture that healthy balance because you know when you cut some you cut these big trees or bigger junk trees you get a lot of regrowth so you're now getting great food but it's not a a, a horrible site of damage hurt trees across the landscape with the hinge cutting mm-hmm. and not all tree species want to be hinged or will be hinged the correct way they may splinter and do all kinds of nasty stuff um so it's it's hinging some cutting others all the way down and and you're getting a great diversity in there so for um, sure anyway number five is right the, the creek the heart of the access on this property um, when you look at this place, it's pretty well, it's a little bit bigger on the south end than the north end by the division of the creek, but it's pretty close to the center. And if you were to try to access the east or the south side um, just by walking the boundaries, you're going to have some difficulty. Um, and so using the great advantage to this property is, is the creek. Um, we have big banks, probably ten foot, some t- oh, in some wow. places, which which is one hundred percent key. This is not, yeah, that that's why that can become an access trail because literally you can walk in there and you're not seen out of it. So that means, you know, in the reverse or respective, they're yeah. not seeing you as you're walking in there. No, your scent is very well confined, kind of within those banks, and it's it's. If you're working with the thermals, cool. They're going downstream. Like, you can walk and navigate through here very undetected. Of course, you're going to have to watch and, and, and be mindful of how much rain you've been getting. Right. But. You may have to walk in and hip waders sometimes. The other thing is. That is key right there. That seems thermals, like the most important thing. A lot of times you're walking in and it's cooler in the, in the day, like before daylight. Yeah. Um, and so you're walking in and your scent is probably just going to sit in that creek. that bottom, yeah. So even if the wind is supposed to be coming from the west, if it's calm, you're, you're still just going to sit in the creek. So you don't have to worry about your scent blowing out across the yeah. landscape. And so that the creek access is going to be the really game changer of this place. There's three or four stands located on this property four or five, I should say, that are using the creek to access. Yeah. And uh, one of them in particular being coming up that is where you're going to walk the entire length of the creek and use terrain to your advantage. And the important part is if you didn't have that creek, the way that the timber lays, let's just say, let's just say if you take all the trees on the south side of that creek all the way to the south side of that property line, you could look, I mean, it's dead flat. So if... It's fall time, so there's no leaves on the trees. The stinging nettle is flat on the ground, and you try to get to a stand on the south side of that creek, no matter what, you could be seen from a long ways yeah. away. You were educating. If there are deer there, tons of deer. They're going to see you Yeah. as you're walking in. So you have to use that creek. Thank goodness it's there. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a, that, that was it's, probably it a kind, major it's selling like the point property, for them. I mean, um, that we turkey hunt a lot on. Oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. of that yeah. same height that's like sneak and peek and you're getting around that place. That's cool. Yeah. Number six 
is the southwest corner. It is kind of going into the no matter what, you want to have stands set up for multiple winds. And this is a one wind for or one stand for a north wind of some sort, northeast, northwest, north, um, to where basically you're walking in and you're using the, the only road system coming down the hill. You're walking down the steep little ditch that feeds into the creek crossing the creek and zipping up <clears throat> 50 yards and hunting the south side of a crossing that kind of comes along the creek and side slope of that south side of the property and what makes that stand so good is if we look just outside of the property lines to the west we can see a field that sits a little further south but has a point that comes out on a little ridge and then you have a the topography there's, a, there's that point that comes out, and then there's a big pinch right there off the property between the creek and then that neighbor's field edge that kind of walking and accessing down. All that right there, that's an extreme pinch for any deer coming and using that creek as a travel corridor to move through. Maybe they're moving up to check the bedding areas that you've created or the food plot or the neighbor's big old field that we talk about there in number eight. Whatever it is, there's a big pinch there, and you want to be close to your property line to be able to hunt and access that pinch but on your property without obviously yeah. trespassing um and then the hinging behind is let's just say something would want to sneak or, or come around that point off the property um the hinging and the lane of trees behind you that obstruction forces them down below you upwind yeah of you and didn't you say this hinging right here was kind of uh, a barrier for the neighbor as well yeah, where a stand can't or something. See yeah, as well. We can see some stands across the way. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. It it doubles as that for sure. Number seven is probably my favorite stand on the whole place. Oh yeah, on the bluff. Um, <clears throat> yep. We're we're using the the creek all the way to the northeast oh. side, and there's a bluff there uh, on the creek, probably a thirty foot elevation change. That's cool. It's sharp. And yeah, uh, that's cool. Gonna it's walk steep. up the side slope of that bluff. Uh, and on a part of it, climb into a big old black black oak, and you're going to have deer. If you notice, there's the creek feeds out to the east, and there's a field, brushy field to the south, and a and a kind of a mowed hay field to the northeast, and so it's a good little pinch. A lot of um, things come together just yeah. right there. And then you have that elevation where they're coming, kind of climbing the elevation and coming over that slope. There's some heavy, heavy deer trails right oh, there. Yeah. We're using this on a southwest wind or a west wind, blowing it down the creek or into the creek on calm days. And uh, so you can hunt it and really, really see a lot of – you're up on that bluff so you can see to the southeast and see this overgrown field. Are you mm-hmm. saying hunted on the south side of the creek there? You're hunting on the north side okay. of the creek. Yep. Yep. So it's a really, really awesome spot. That's cool. And, but from, uh, from that stand, you can shoot a creek crossing just as – I mean, it's a heavy trail coming out of that – that neighbors, let's we're gonna call it old field, um, heavy trails there, and then you're also 15 yards above it, but 15 yards off that trail that comes up that steep ridge yeah. and filters right, right. So it's one of it. those that if you can get into the stand with really strong wind too, there's a good chance the deer aren't smelling you anymore. Yeah, it's just carrying over the top of the. It's heads. that high. Yeah, it's that's gone. cool. That's probably my favorite spot. It looks like a good spot. Number eight is the old field to the east. This, if you were to describe it, I would just say in one word, Bucky. Um, it has that kind of where you look and there's... Great adjective. There's, there's trees in it. There's a lot of forbs. There's a lot of grasses. It's just brushy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very Bucky um, to where you just know at some point there's going to be a buck, dog, and a doe during the rut. Yep. And you'll be able to see him from number seven. And, oh, yeah. Uh, 
but we also know that it's 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 great bedding, but it's not the thick woody stuff that can be searched out or uh, the does that seek that out as they will in the bedding thickets. So it's a great bedding area, but there's a good chance a couple bucks will be dogging a doe and she's going to push out of there and try to go to one of these bedding thickets. For and, sure. Uh, it's just another dot in the roundabout whirlpool of bucks chasing does around the property trying to find a receptive one mm-hmm. um very awesome but no management there it's just the neighbor's uh, field so the neighbor doesn't hay it or Nothing. anything he just no, lets no. it go it's nice forbs and broadleafs nice yeah number nine is right here along the, the western ditch. edge that that's it that ditch in that field edge um is critical but and, and that's one of those places on this property that you can overlook and walk past and basically visually see as as an underutilized portion of the property but with a just a little bit of edge feathering and dropping some trees you you create a pinch or you enhance a a pinch that's there so we're talking about um there, there's a little ditch just i mean it's right along the property line just off that field edge mm-hmm. that it's still pretty steep. It's like five or six foot deep that you can walk, and you're you're kind of down, hidden from that field as you're accessing. Yeah. But then, if you, in addition to that, you take some of the trees right along that field edge and drop those, you're creating more right. cover. But what you're also doing is creating a pinch for the deer to only enter and exit that field closest to that creek. Right. So they're not going to come above you. So basically, in essence, you can hunt this on a south east or south wind and blow it directly up from where you came from to that northwest corner of the property if you edge along this field edge you're just bringing those deer down closer to that creek system so again we took a let's just call that um 150 yard wide field edge and a deer could have crossed through there any which let's way. Just, let's say 50% of the time they crossed it within shooting range of that creek, but the other 50% was somewhere north of that. And you took that 50% of option above the creek and said, no, no, not anymore. So now 100% right. come down within shooting range of that creek. That's how you take a good spot, uh, a decent spot, and make it a great spot. Right. Using natural, replicating, if you will, nature and what we talked about earlier. Uh, a windstorm, laying these trees down, and enhancing a natural travel corridor. How many times, to me, one of the best access we can have, I would take a terrain change access over a road access every day of the week. Because oh, yeah. I would much rather go up a creek, go yep. up a ditch, or a ravine. even go up a ravine or draw. That's one of my favorites, is climb up a ravine on the side slope of a, of a ridge, and then hunt the top of that the head of that draw and catch a lot of deer moving through there so to me uh don't over don't overlook get a topo map get a hunt terror map and uh, and And it doesn't have to be drastic either no and and a lot of times some of our best ones are the ones that don't really even show up on a topo Mm -hmm. map they're you're kind of like a small little knoll in a field or something just something really small little change in the topo lines on only a couple of them you're like that looks like a little bit of a draw and then you go and find it you're like wow this all this is a major little change right here so this is this becomes there, an interesting point to an access point there seriously was that exact scenario i was scouting a public land and there was just a little knoll like maybe four or five foot and 
to get to the where I want to put the stand, I've got to cross a bean field because there's a little cutout on a like a finger out into the field. That's mm-hmm. a perfect place to put a stand. But I was I don't I didn't like the idea of crossing that field in the middle yeah, of the day. Sure. But where I'd seen the deer bedding, that little knoll, and then once the beans get a little bit higher because they planted them a little bit late, but that is going to provide me enough cover, enough little bit of screen. just to sneak around that little hill to get mm-hmm. to that finger without really exposing myself too much in the middle. So of that what field. was the um Name of the public area where you put in yeah, and sent, the coordinates of I the stand. I sent him the pictures, and he's <laughs> wanting to know the coordinates of the slayer. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'll Shoot, seriously, I'll come and but, film. All right. If they're there and you got a good shot of killing them, I just rearranged cool. the camera. I had the yeah. camera set up in the wrong spot, so we'll see. The, Gosh, the, Dad, go on it. We'll see where they're at. <laughs> well, I just set it up, and then I scouted them. Anyways, <laughs> so which one are we one, on now, 10? Number 10, and that goes Not with. Last, we got 11. Oh, we got 11. Okay, right. I don't see 11 I can't on there, see but, anything on here. Um, it's kind of hard to see. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, number 10 is the access to the food <clears> plot. <throat> you could make the straight line, nice, easy walk right down the slope. Or you could make the a crown little... of that little ridge, right? Yeah, just that's so easy. We talked about access. I think it was on the Honey Podcast, didn't we? It was about taking what what often seems as just the easiest route is the worst route to go. Don't walk across the you crown could, of the ridge. You right. could walk. Oh, the crown of the ridge one kills me. <laughs> um, you could walk straight down the slope, right to the food plot, nice and direct, easy line. peasy, Japanesey, where it's just you know what movie that's from. Shawshank. Is it? Really? Yep. yep. And uh, Give anyway, me nightmares, boys. We're dropping some movie knowledge. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you could go right down the crown of that ridge, straight into the blind and set up perfectly. But every deer that was in the food plot, especially if you hunted in the morning, is going to see you coming yep. down that hill. There is a way that where you could drop some trees, do some edge feathering, some hinging, and you can walk straight east from the parking spot and walk then straight south and use the terrain change to where you're hidden against the the you're not silhouetted you're down yep. in the in the slope mm-hmm. um, and you're going to have trees down and so you can get in there nice and easy so that is one thing that I definitely think that a lot of us are guilty of take, oh yeah it will it will Especially take you an extra you, Zach. yeah <laughs> oh I've getting skyline on a ridge top oops yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it will take you one extra minute to walk make that little bit larger of a loop around that ridge on the back side of it to yeah. get to that stand do it it's do that it. that easy and it's funny cuz once you start if you if you have made those mistakes and we've all done it we've all walked across the ridge top or done something silly and you're like oh shoot Man, I, I I know that one axis. I need to change that. But then when you start to do it, and you're really conscious of how you're how you're walking from to and from your stand. Like let's say you take a buddy in there, and they're like, "Oh, I'm just gonna walk across here." You're like, "No, bro, what are you doing? no, yeah. no, please, no, <laughs> yeah. don't walk across the ridge. Don't silhouette yourself. Exactly. Don't do this." And because no, no, you probably not, not the ridge not top. The ridge top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just walking along. Come okay, on, guys, it's the fastest route. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna be the thumbnail image for this podcast. Was Zach like walking like this? <laughs> I wish everyone listening could have seen that. Number eleven um, is once again adding more of that growth from a deer's head to its hooves. And that's just I'd by like, head to the hooves. That's right. <laughs> we want growth head to the hooves. And so by doing this on the edge. Foot of the, to the ear just doesn't have the same no, ring. No. Head, head to the, the hooves. hooves. <laughs> and um, we want to talk about how we can add that and how we can improve a food plot. When you think about a food plot, you think about 
we just talked about this last week with Justin Adams, is the food plot species a lot of times don't grow well under the canopy of trees. Um, and even then, they still just don't do well. Um, there's too much competition well, for them. And you certainly see that in during stress periods. Mm-hmm. You see like the fall food plots exponentially. are always the ones that I see yeah. struggling. And, and then big crop fields as well later yeah. on in the summer. Um, and so we need something with a big, deep root that can really um, get the nutrients and, and withstand and that fine competition. Water. Yeah. And so uh, that only comes with a perennial, and a perennial like a native grass, big blue, little blue, switchgrass. Th- and then going into the to the forbs, you've got the blazing stars or the partridge peas, and, and the other species, they're going to have a better root system than a soybean or a clover and, or a turf grass. And so... We have the blend with Pure Air Natives, the Edge Blend. That is, um, uh, I don't, I think there's a there's a 15% discount to our listeners. Yep. And you guys can get it. I think it's 108 dollars an acre, which you wouldn't even have to buy a full bag. You'd buy half a bag on this one. But that's the thing. Like this property, again, what we talked about, we let off. This property is so um, applicable to a lot of people. So even if you have a one acre food plot, if you bought one of those bags to do the edge, you'd have plenty left yeah. over. So find or, a neighbor or, you could or do a co-op. A 10-yard strip yeah. if you wanted. And there's food in there. We've got it mixed with a bunch of other stuff. There's food with those forbs during the growing season. And then you've got, as they mature, you've got great cover and seeds for other species. Yep. So it's definitely something that will help you in your hab- hunting strategy. It will help you in your habitat strategy. It will help you on your overall land production and land um, legacy. How about that? There we go. Hey, bringing a full circle. You planting something that's going to be there for a long time. So, which, in respect to that, if you only listen to the Habitat podcast, be sure to listen to the Hunting podcast too. To listen to it was honestly just an open dialogue with Ryan Kirby, the owner of this property. Yeah. Um, just as genuine. Uh, as you could get of a conversation with, well, there was zero notes. We didn't have anything that was like, we were, oh, we really want to ask him this. We really want to do this in the podcast. It was like, you knew Ryan, talked to him obviously in the past. Um, and it's like, let's just have that campfire feeling yeah. conversation and see where it goes. Cause that you'll find the most authentic conversations like that. And, but w- I guess I say that when you talked about legacy, you'll hear him talk about bringing his son out here right. and, and what he wants to do and how this property is going to play an important role for that kid as he gets older. That's really important too. Yeah. That's just really important just yeah. to pass the hair to John too. It's, it's funny and, how like you know, you thought, oh, I'm planting seed, but you're planting a seed for that kid too right. as you're planting, whether it's, you know, the natives, the plot, whatever. I know it's deep and Yeah, and I know we've mushy, talked about gushy, it before about like – it's real. It's it's ingrained in all of our memory. I mean, it is, those memories will sure. just never, ever, ever be forgotten. You guys and, remember the first food plot you were planted? Oh, clover. Uh, the north. Yeah, clover in the north bottom. Oh, north bottom. Yeah, Adam Buckoats. Buckoats. But far Buckoats. P- planted them on our neighbor's property. Actually, yeah. the field by Old Orchard. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, really? planted them, and then we planted the next one was on our farm that's now called old food plot yep and we planted wheat and rape and turnips i did a I was 10 years good old. old perennial white clover just mixture of I, I remember the old feed store i went to and got and then i had a 
Ten dad's cents a wrote, pound. <laughs> dad's rototiller that he used for the garden. Oh, and yeah. it wasn't a big area, of course, but it was just the corner of the back hay field that, that he didn't cut. There's a couple exposed rocks. And I remember I was I was young and had the that's like one of the first times using that rototiller. I worked it. What's the biggest thing you learned in that? What? In in planting your first food plot. What did you learn? Oh, mine was a failure. You know what I There's learned? Those guys on TV are full what of it. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're hunting over these perfectly yeah. manicured fields. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I learned that I had a lot to learn. Yeah. At that time. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you guys got for Would You Rather? You got anything? Silence. Yeah. No, I do. I do. I do. I do. Um It makes it kind of difficult when we ask this every single week. Well, that's like, too, and I was, I, I was excited for this uh, property breakdown. I was really, really uh, into it. I don't. I, wasn't I forget. About it. I mean, sometimes I'll just forget. Like, oh yeah, yeah. On yeah. the way over here, I'm like, maybe I should start thinking. About maybe one. I really need to start thinking about that. <laughs> Would you rather? Maybe. It's, and it's funny because Adam, I know as as we talked, um, our, our friend Mike Gailey and Ryan had talked about it. Like they listen pretty regularly to the podcast and they'll throw out a would you rather to us in conversation like mike asked me one the other day um i can't remember it now i'll have to call him but i'll tell you justin adams had one for us that we never we we got so focused on the natives and he goes i forgot to ask you the would you rather he asked me and i'll ask you this he said would you rather go on a Try to remember what he said. Would you rather catch a 18-inch smallmouth or a 20-inch smallmouth on a river with your buddies, or go on a quail hunt with your buddies? And I said I'd rather go on a quail hunt with my buddies. I catch yeah, 20, yeah. I catch 20-inch smallmouth all the time. Yeah, so. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest one I ever caught was 18, look, but <laughs> go, uh, look at just film four. And we'll see the ones I caught. Yeah, 15-inchers, <laughs> baby. Yeah, I. Uh, that's a good one though. Wow. So that's he, what I said. He asked what, but it's funny. It's like. A lot of people well, look forward to it. Okay. What would, was Ryan's the other day? Ryan asked what painting we would rather have. Oh, that's right. That's right. He asked if we'd rather have a uh, a scene of turkey, deer, yeah. or quail. Yep. Would you rather go on a quail hunt with your buddies, or would you rather go up to South Dakota and go on an awesome pheasant hunt? Quail hunt. Pheasants aren't even native. Get out yeah. of here. Yeah. So what, dude? Jaw, dude. jaw just dropped right there. For You've Zach. eaten pheasant uh, though, right? Yeah, it's very good. I, I'll tell you this, oh, man. I would, I would that is love hard to, go, to beat. I would yeah. love to go pheasant hunting, but I haven't killed. I haven't been on enough great quail hunts to really say just okay. Every, I every to experience something new. Every time that what uh, a, shotgun, every time he's pumping out a shell, he's like removing invasives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah. What about I've, you? I've Would... had a herbicide spray on my back. Now it's time for a shotgun. Yeah, that's right. Removing bases. <laughs> you know why quail is so, I talk so much about it. It was because the fact that I got so hooked on hunting quail about the time the population went down. Down, yeah. And so it was like. It was a tease. It would be like, yeah, it was the biggest tease of my life probably to where you think about if I gave you a bow and said there's a there's a 200-inch buck running around here, you hang the stands, plant the plots, and then the day before season opens up, I pull the plug, change the locks, and say, all right, see ya. <laughs> Go <laughs> That's on. what it feels like. Go on. You know, I so, had a kind of unique discussion What would brother. you do? You didn't oh, okay. answer, answer it. Quail, quail or, or pheasant? pheasant? Yeah. I would do quail too. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I Boy. would. I just, whenever I lived in South Dakota, I lived up there for a year. Do. Like, yeah. I would just go out on a piece of public ground. They they had cornfields and stuff. They wouldn't yeah. cut them. They just let them be. 
just walk two rows. Right. Oh, sorry. Well, and, and that's uh, you walk two rows and you can just get your limit. And they were mm-hmm. the best eating. I mean, uh, quail or uh, pheasants is so good, man. Yeah. Well, now they're talking about and they got we, spurs. Yeah, that's right. They're beautiful. <laughs> and oh I know my they're gosh, not. they're 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 incredibly gorgeous. Yeah. Um, my brother and I had this conversation. We talked about like getting his his oldest boy in hunting, kind of like when and how um, this past week, and uh, just brought up talking about when I do have kids, it's like, they're squirrel hunting first. Yeah, and, that's and a good Because every, like, there's no antlers. It's a gray, bushy-tailed creature, and it's like, put the sights on it, mm-hmm. shoot it. If you miss, who the heck who cares? cares? It yeah. doesn't matter. You see a bunch of them. Target-rich. Target-rich environment. Plink away. Have fun. And we, I guess what it was is you talk about the first quail hunt. Um, that's what got you into it. For me, I was squirrel and rabbit hunting. Rabbit's fun, man. You man, get it, the beagles running. Woo wee. That's fun, yeah. I love it. I love it. We didn't get the and beagles they good running too. today. No, we didn't go on a rabbit trail. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly <laughs> didn't. We were proud of ourselves. Yeah. All uh, right. Well, that pretty well wraps up this week's Do you have one? podcast. No, I'll think of one next week. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Too we, much time uh, on I thought the road. you my, had one. I my brain know. is fried <laughs> right now. Yeah, we are... Uh, thankful for you guys always joining us and always listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and and uh so we sincerely appreciate that hopefully um you guys will continue sharing it with your friends and that only helps us um grow and reach new people and continue doing this every single week um, for sure at 11 o'clock at night and whatever so, time uh, it is yeah anyway uh we we will catch you guys next time i guess i said wee wee on that podcast oh gosh <laughs> we cut it we'll out we're done <laughs> all right see you guys see ya <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of land and legacy's hunting and habitat management podcast if you like what you hear check us out at landlegacy.tv you can submit a viewer question right there and we're answering the podcast or find us on facebook and instagram feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.